Welcome to the Sticky CMO, brought to you by award-winning marketer Tom Baskill. This is the podcast for CMOs who want to become indispensable. Each week, Tom is joined by expert guests on the cutting edge of their fields to help you level up where it matters. From socials to lead gen, each episode is packed with actionable tips for marketers looking to become irreplaceable in their organizations, because 2023 is the year to become sticky. Hey everyone, and welcome to The Sticky CMO. My name is Tom Baskill, and today I'm lucky enough to be speaking to Quentin Mueller. Quentin is the founder of Mueller Digital, a growth marketing agency specializing in paid, SEO, ABM, and more. Quentin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Busy day, beautiful gray and wet weather here in Mm. which we are well known for wonderful weather. But yeah, I'm right in the thick of it here. No. (laughs) Hopefully it'll get sunnier. It's not sunny here either. So (laughs) we're both in a gloomy town. So I wanted to start out with what should a CMO know about the latest advertising trends? As an expert in paid, I feel like you probably have a very great insight into this. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of razzle-dazzle, a lot of confetti about new things that are coming up, new features or old features that are going to get sunsetted, but not a lot of fundamentals. In terms of the chat that you see on a lot of social networks, people get really excited about this stuff or really nervous about it. And I get people reaching out to me like, oh, God, Quentin, you know, like Google Optimize is going away. What are we going to do? I'm like, well, it's fine. Like, first of all, you're not using it in the first place. So don't worry about it. (laughs) Secondly, there's like 500 other A-B testing platforms out there. But I think that we've gotten to a place in digital advertising where the ability to execute your strategy is almost independent of the technology. Like the technology is almost fungible at this point. There are some kind of cool things that are relatively new that are really neat, especially in the B2B space where I spend a lot of my time. But, you know, a lot of people get really obsessed over these technological details and they still don't have their customer profiles. They still don't have personas. They don't have their budget confirmed for next year. That's the stuff you need to focus on rather than getting too concerned about technology. Now, that being said, there is some really cool technology out there. The things that I'm excited about in the B2B space are things that are really evolutions of capabilities that we've already had. So content personalization is something that I get really excited about. There's a few really good companies out there that do this to take someone that's coming into your site and you find their IP address within milliseconds. Obviously, you have to do that for user experience to run that against a database and be like, okay, this is Natalie from IBM and she works in their marketing department. So we want to serve her this experience and it'll, before the person even knows what's happening, change the whole homepage or whatever to be like, hey, like here's a case study that targets IBM. So that kind of stuff is really cool. But I always caution people, we really need to focus on fundamentals. When I first started my advertising was always Facebook and you had much more robust targeting options. Some of them were fundamentally terrible for privacy (laughs) perspective. But as they disappeared, we were still able to make Facebook ads work, you know, and every time something changed, you're still able to make it work. And and this is something for people to keep in mind is that privacy rules are something we need to stay on top of. I mean, I know you're in the States, it's slightly less of a concern there from a legal perspective, at least here, everyone has to adhere to GDPR. So it's, it's very important. But these are changes that impact everyone's business, not just you, but it impacts all your competitors at the same time. So again, like, oh, Google Analytics is sunsetting. We all have to switch to GA4, which nobody likes. And it's like, everyone has to do it. 
playing field is level. Yeah, or like the fact that targeting in Facebook is not what it used to be. And that's that's just a fact. It's not that Facebook is useless for advertisers, but it isn't what it used to be. But this is something that all your competitors have to deal with at the same time. So on some aspects, it's a level playing field. And again, what really makes people stand out is the attention to those fundamentals. Like, do you know who your customers are? Are you able to understand which campaigns are bringing in revenue for you? You know, do you have a marketing team that's able to leverage that information in a way that's that's going to drive your business forward? And even from a step backwards, do you know what your customers' pain points are? Yeah. When I start with a new client, oftentimes I'm like, oh, great, we're talking about our features. What does that help people? Like, does that address a pain point? What are the benefits of those features? Is our customer even aware of the technical aspects or do they not care as long as it gives them the solution? So there's some backstepping that we, you know, backtracking we even need to do. Yeah. And like for me, coming originally from the SEO world, there's like such a focus on content. And I feel like now I'm coming back around to it as sort of a B2B kind of performance marketing guy. And not so much of like, okay, we need to have 500 blog posts a week in order to like capture all of our long tail. But, you know, do we have the right white papers in place? Do we have the right sub pages so that we can, yes, address all of these concerns, but address them from the right viewpoint, you know, so that we have something for the technical user, we have something for the buyer, we have something for the people in between. And this is a big problem for a lot of the the customers that I start working with, where they're very excited, they want to do ABM, they want to do all this cool stuff. But I asked them like, okay, cool. Like, where are your personas? Oh, we don't have this. Like, okay. They're like, no problem. That's something we can help you with. But we need to build that first. And we need to understand your potential customer's pain points first before we can make little carved out, bespoke little targeting to go after them in a very targeted or even an ABM way. We're all very excited about the little bells and whistles, but... They're bells and whistles. <laughs> There's yeah, some fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, these things do help. I, I don't want to play it down too much because I used to run some of the acquisition marketing at Symantec back in the day. And they were using what was test and target at the time. Now I think it's called Adobe Target, their A-B testing and experience management platform. And they had like a whole room full of people, really smart people, figuring out how to do personalization, how to do really good A-B tests. And they were paying 10, 15 grand a month just for the software, never mind room full of super smart people in the Bay Area. And you can do 90% of that now with a couple of people and mutiny. It has made it so that you can do more with less, but you still need to have kind of the, the business intelligence behind it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You kind of touched on ABM, and I wanted to ask, I mean, it's very useful, but I feel like it's kind of very flashy right now as everyone wants to do ABM. Could you tell us more about account-based marketing and yeah. what that is? Account-based marketing is something that just makes sense when you're working on sort of an enterprise or even mid-market B2B targeting standpoint. One of the things that I really like about B2B targeting or B2B marketing rather is that there's so much more care and attention paid through all different parts of the funnel from the conceptual, like in terms of building the targeting, your personas, your ICP profiles, everything like that through to the tracking of those people once they get on the site and give you their information and you're giving them content, getting them into the the drip campaigns, 
through to the connection between, call them web-based activities, you know, your Google ads, your LinkedIn ads, everything like that, into the CRM and the different sales touch points. The coordination and orchestration of all that, to me, is just a lot more interesting. It's more of a challenge than selling someone some sneakers, you know, like, okay, you have a lot more competition there. It's, it's tough in its own way, but you kind of don't care on an individual basis who the customer is, where on enterprise B2B, you definitely do. And I think that ABM is just kind of a natural extension of that. So ABM, account-based marketing, is really taking a close partnership with the sales team, which as a marketer, you really should be doing anyways, but really going to them and be like, okay, who are you trying to sell to? And then taking that list and integrating that into your marketing approach. That's sort of a high level. And how that breaks down, you know, it can happen in a number of different ways based on your budget and resources and how much time you have. But you can, on the extreme end, have a coordinated website personalization experience where, again, Natalie from IBM, we have a special IBM website experience just for mm -hmm. her or someone from her team. Or on LinkedIn or in your programmatic networks, you would have, hey, IBM, like, here's what we could do for you. Those kind of ads. And then you send them to a special landing page and then in the chat window that comes up, it's like, hey, it looks like you're from IBM. We'd love to help you. That sort of stuff, which on a consumer level would be a little weird to be like, hey, Tom, like, check out these sneakers. We saw you looking at them last week. Right. <laughs> you know, on a consumer level, that doesn't work. But on a B2B level, there's a lot more acceptance for it. And it just works. So that's kind of the extreme end. You know, that's like all your data is tied together. Everything's humming along. You can make that sort of stuff happen. On the more budget approach to it, dipping your toes in the water of ABM, you can take out-of-the-box targeting on platforms like LinkedIn, which has really great firmographic targeting, and say like, okay, we're selling to, let's say it's accounting software. We're selling to the finance and HR departments of companies. We want to sell to people with five plus years of experience. And we're going to talk to sales and get a list of 100 companies that they're going to be targeting over the next quarter. And you can just pop that into LinkedIn and have a relatively targeted ABM campaign that goes after these businesses. And then you can sort of take that as your starting point and break that out to be as sophisticated as you want it to be. Generally speaking, the more targeted your campaigns are, the better your results are going to be. However, the higher your costs are going to be mm -hmm. as well. And I'm going to get into trouble for putting numbers on things, but kind of a typical cost per contact, let's say, on LinkedIn for a B2B, it's called 100 bucks. As soon as you put in like a very specific target, it's like, okay, like we don't want to go after just anyone who's interested in enterprise accounting in the world. We want to go after someone from Nestle, let's say. We really want to target Nestle. All right, well... You are saying we don't care about anyone in the rest of the world. It's just this one company. We're going after Nestle. And and you're not the only one going you're after You're not the Nestle. only one, first of all. But statistically, it's just a lot harder. You know, if you're rolling the dice and saying like, okay, is anyone in the world interested in changing their accounting software right now? Sure, odds are pretty high. But if you're waiting on one company, the odds are a lot lower. So your cost per acquisition is going to skyrocket. So that'll go from 100 to 200, 300, 500, maybe even higher, depending on how big of a group within that business you're targeting. So again, like this is the part of B2B work that I find really fun 
is the amount of detail you really need to get into your targeting. So let's stick with Nestle and say like, okay, I want to target them. Like you have to think actually, especially a big international company like that, where are their accountants? They might be in North America. They might be in Europe. They might be somewhere else. I, I don't know. You have to figure that out because if you're normally a company that's like, okay, we do all our business in English. We're just going to target North America. Fine. But some of these big international companies, their finance centers in Ireland for tax reasons or Bahamas, who knows? You have to figure that out. So you have to do a little bit of research into company structure as well. You can't just throw an ad up. I mean, that's something that I talk to my clients as well is like pretty much anybody can throw an ad up. It's not complicated. Exactly. It's the targeting, it's the copy, branding, and then it's all these little details of, are you only in North America? Because you're not even getting the decision maker who's in Ireland. There is like a, a big range in terms of your approach to ABM from just going on LinkedIn, like, all right, we're going to spend 50 bucks a day, target these 10 companies that sales is going to go after. And we'll see what happens. You know, we don't have super personalized touch points all along the way to something we're like, all right, we've got a platform like Mutiny. We've got something that will enable display targeting on an ABM level like Sixth Sense or Rollworks and have a fully custom account specific or even department within those accounts specific targeting where every touch point says IBM, says Nestle. And you're showing them a fully custom experience. And that works really well. But I think that smaller companies can get the benefit of ABM approaches without a massive budget. That was my next question is budget. So yeah. for like a smaller company versus a larger, what can these budgets look like? And what should CMOs think about? And of course, this answer is going to be a wide range, right? Obviously, obviously. I think that I always try to start with people's goals. And sometimes these aren't always worked out. And that's something that we help people with sometimes. Like, okay, like, what are you trying to do over the next year? What are your goals for this quarter? What are your goals for 2023 in terms of call them leads, let's say, to be general? Leads, MQLs, SQLs, like it's, are you basing your goals around pipeline? Like, what are you doing? And then we can kind of work backwards from there. We do a little bit of back of the napkin calculation, of course, and you, you have to be realistic. Sometimes people say, well, we want to close a thousand of these enterprise accounts before end of year. And we have 2000 euros per month to spend on it. I'm like, well, I mean, we can try. You know, I'm always down to try. We'll, right. we'll do our best. But ultimately, I will generally say to people like, okay, well, based on my experience, based on what we've seen in the past, and based on the budget that you've put forward, our likely outcome is X. There's a lot of different factors that play into success levels, and that impacts budget. That impacts the needed budget to hit a certain goal. You know, you are basically putting together a little formula, and you need to figure out, okay, how many SQLs are we really going to get out of that 2,000 euros a month? And is that enough? If not, then, well, maybe we need to go talk to the board and get some more money, or adjust our goals, or, you know, just do our best and be sad about it. You know, it, it kind of <laughs> depends. Right. Sometimes you can't get more budget. Exactly. You know, that's that's reality. Sometimes you you have what you've got and you have to try your best. And we do, you know, and there's different optimizations you can make along the way. You know, sometimes you can do some A-B testing on the website and fix a few things there and then get the funnel to flow a little bit faster, which always helps. We do what we can. 
One of the things you're talking about right now is not just campaign execution. You're talking about strategy. You're talking about looking at overall pictures. You're talking about budgeting and forecasting. And that really brings me to your CMO. You can try and bring this in-house. Eventually, maybe you will. But how can a consultant in particular help you build this ROI-focused funnel, really? Yeah. I mean, I think that the benefit of consultants and agencies is that you're able to turn on like a marketing department very, very quickly. You can bring myself and my team in and we'll be up and running within a few weeks with a a fairly advanced approach to your Google ads, your LinkedIn ads, your what have you without like a ton of onboarding, without a ton of training. And you're going to be getting people with 10, 15 years experience immediately. Now, if you go to and try to hire those people full time, I mean, good luck, first of all. But it's, it's going to take a while and you, you're going to have to make big commitments to these people. With me, like, sure, you know, you have to sign a contract and everything, but it's, it's a much lower commitment. So that's kind of the big benefit of bringing contractors or an agency in to help out is you're able to bring in a ton of experience right away with very little commitment and usually at a lower cost. I do think that for most teams, it does make sense to hire in-house eventually. If it's something where you're not plugging someone in to fix something that's broken or plugging someone in because of a specific campaign, or it's like, okay, we're going to do this weird campaign, and we need someone that knows what they're doing with that thing, but then we're never going to do it again. Mm -hmm. A perfect case to bring in a consultant, right? And I think as well for ramping up, where, okay, we need additional headcount, but it's taking us too long to hire someone. We're going to try and hire someone in the meantime, but Tom or Quentin are going to help us out until we find that perfect person. Again, great time to bring in consultants. But I think that eventually you do want to build that in-house knowledge because I like to think that I'm pretty good at sort of parachuting into a company. And even if I know nothing about their industry, kind of like figuring it out pretty quickly and like, okay, like this is your audience, this is the product and these are the concerns. Like, okay, like we can put two and two together here. But I'm never going to have that level of knowledge that someone who's been doing performance marketing at one of these companies in-house for like five years. They're going to know the voice. They're going to know the message like much, much better than I will because they're in it every day. You know, I've got a bunch of other clients I need to deal with. I'm not super 100% on this all the time. So I think that that's what you get from in-house experience as well as people on the team that know this stuff that teach the rest of the team. And I think that's really valuable as well. Yeah, when I when I think about my clients, what I hope is that they're with me for many years, but they graduate. Yeah. And I help train their in-house team. And then I say goodbye, call me if you need me, because eventually I want them to grow enough that they can bring this in-house. And you're right, there are certain processes and personalities and all sorts of things that you only get when you're fully emerged. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Are there specific KPIs that CMOs really should think about when they're talking about paid ABM or which metrics are the stakeholders going to focus on but don't really matter? Yeah, I mean, I I think that the whole thing with B2B marketing is like really understanding your client and really understanding your customers a lot more because that really plays into the company culture. I have a German client where we're working with them on their SEO program and they care about rankings, but only for these 50 keywords. 
I've maybe mentioned that, hey, there's a lot of other keywords that if we ranked for, that would be good, but they only care about these 50 keywords. So we have an average ranking score across those, a visibility score, uh, you know, where we are vis-a-vis competitors, and that's what they monitor and that's what they communicate and that's their main success metric. But for other people, they're going to go by revenue driven by organic search, which is what I always try to go by because revenue is what you care about as a business for the most part. So I always advise people to move their KPIs as far down the funnel as possible so that we can say like, okay, how much revenue or how much pipeline has our advertising program created over the past year? Now, that's a very basic question from a sort of business standpoint, but to actually answer that <laughs> is quite difficult. But that's where I always try and, and push people is like, let's really try and focus on the business impacts. So the amount of SQLs driven from our advertising program or the amount of pipeline driven by the advertising program or the amount of revenue is really where I try and push people towards. And I think that monitoring the number of clicks or number of impressions or even the click-through rates of our ads is interesting on an operational level of managing the ad campaign. But I don't think that CMOs should really focus in on that stuff because Mm -hmm. you have like a very big possibility of missing the forest for the trees. Because a common thing we do is when we're coming in and auditing like a Google ads campaign is people will have like GDN turned on and it's just not doing anything, which in a B2B situation is is pretty common. So we'll just turn that off. And then, you know, the CMO will call us the next day and say like, oh, where'd all our impressions go? Like, we're not getting seen. It's like, well, you're not getting seen by people that are never going to click on any of these ads. So it's actually fine. And how's our lead generation rate going? How are our MQLs? Like, well, those are up. I'm like, well, you know, then we're doing our job. So I always try and push people's attention further down the pipeline. I like that as a good piece of advice. Pick KPIs that are as far down the pipeline as you can. Yeah, I mean, just like try to cut to the core of what we're doing. You know, like we're trying to drive business. We're trying to get you more sales. So let's let's focus on that. So as we're about to wrap up, I do have to ask because everybody is asking me, what about TikTok? What's TikTok advertising looking like? And is that even relevant to B2B? I think it can be. I got to be honest, I haven't used it in a B2B scenario yet. We are using it on a few different B2C clients and it works pretty well. They have a really well-built platform. I was really impressed the first time I logged in and saw, I mean, not just, okay, you can click a button here and target people in different age groups or whatever, but the amount of thought they seem to have put into the usability of your persona setup and all this stuff, it just really seemed very well thought out. I think the thing is, as always with video, is that it's just a lot more effort to create and to curate and to have it be as polished as you want it to be. Now, I think that there's a lot of space in B2B to, I mean, just use content like this. I mean, it's just two people talking and you can get good content out of that and you can clip something and put that in TikTok and be like, hey, learn more about us. And that can work. But as we get fancier and fancier and higher and higher fidelity with all the different creations that we put out there, it's just more overhead to create it. So that's something to keep in mind as well. But in general, I'm a fan. I think it's great. And I think that if it's TikTok to sort of break us a little bit away out of the Google Facebook ad universe, 
I like to see a little bit of, maybe it's the wrong word to say, but democratization of that marketplace. I think that's good for the business overall. Choices would be good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nice. <laughs> I think about TikTok like I think about Reddit in that when you're looking at the platform, you need to know the platform. You cannot do yeah. a LinkedIn ad on either of those places. You need to know how people interact there. And then you need to match the style within your brand voice. Yeah. Quentin, thank you so much. It's it's really been great to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. It's been a while since I've done something like this. Awesome. Well, you have a great day. You too. So thank you for listening to The Sticky CMO. We're available on the podcast app of your choice, as well as on YouTube as a video podcast. For more information on how to become indispensable to your organization, please visit us at www.tombaskill.com, spelled B-A-S-G-I-L.